Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, looking forward to talking with uh, Ryan Dretz tonight, talking a little bit about his uh, upcoming program. But hey, it was a really great week. We had our first week out at uh, Rad Torque Raceway on Thursday. A ton of people out, great weather, um, just an excellent time. And again, we're out there tomorrow night. Uh, gates open at 5, 4.30 for drivers, 5 o'clock for spectators. Uh, got confirmation, we do have a food truck coming out and it is just a great time. Um, if you're coming to watch, make sure you bring a helmet. Uh, if you're wearing long pants, then definitely you can go for a ride along. Uh, we'll have one of the spec D cars out there as well, just doing a little bit of ride alongs and uh, checking out the yellow speed coilovers that we recently installed and talking a little bit about that. So anyway, it's been, uh, been <laughs> where is this located? Uh, I'll answer some of the questions while we wait for Ryan to uh, jump in there. We're in uh, Western Canada, located in Edmonton primarily, but we host events uh, throughout Western Canada. So everything's available on specd.ca, so you can check that out. I see Ryan is uh, in there, so I'm going to let him jump in and we'll chat with him about what he has planned for this year. If the technology will uh, work with me here. How are you doing? Pretty good, you? Excellent, excellent. Why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself uh, for the people, because we also are doing this on a podcast later on. So people that don't know your handsome face may want to <laughs> hear who you are and what you drive. Yeah, so I'm Ryan Drudd, based at Shura Park. I drive the red 1995 Nissan 240SX S14 with a 6-liter V8, well, now a 6.2 that we're running for this season. And yeah, I've been competing for the last five or so years. Excellent. Um, so a little bit about the new build. I know we had chat a little bit in the off season. Uh, why don't you give a little bit of the history of the car, kind of traditionally the motor setup that you've ran and you, you had a lot of success with that in years past and uh, why maybe the change to the 6.2? Yeah, I guess for uh, the... freezing there hopefully it's not just uh the entire thing but maybe just a little bit of the audio for ryan we'll see how it is let me know if it is coming through that we are on live and uh if not we'll maybe just try to get ryan to rejoin there we go let's see If it'll allow him back in. Sorry about this, guys. Some of the way it goes. There we go. There we go. Sorry, it looks like it disconnected a bit there. Yeah, no so, worries. hopefully, it doesn't happen again. <laughs> so, yeah, I ran uh, the K setup for about a half season, then switched straight to the, the V8. And after kind of getting it sorted for the fast, like one to two seasons, that's what I've been running back to back. And throughout that, the only other than writing off one of the chassis a few years back, I pretty much ran that setup for the last like five years, well, four years for it. And then I swapped it out to another six liter that I wanted to build myself mm -hmm. with a friend. So did that. And then this year was kind of just kind of wanting to see what a, like, a good deal on a six two, like short block, bare block, and then started to take away with a, on that and Joel from Canadian Performance Injection kind of assembled that engine here and so I'm, I'm excited we haven't gone on the dial yet to see what it makes but it should be a pretty big step up from uh, the last bit uh, last setup there because now we got a little bit more bump and compression as well with a little bit larger cam setup so should be a noticeable difference but I'm excited for that new challenge excellent so what what kind of power level were you running last year yeah, last year in the setup, we put just under 390 to the wheels is what we were running there. So been running pretty much that for the last four years for that. That setup is kind of where you've been sitting at. Maybe just before on the prior engine setup, it was right around the 360 mark for it. But that was uh, pretty much it. There wasn't too much too crazy for it. So I know that it was it was a pretty rowdy setup for just that. So 
Well, I definitely think that it looked way more power than what it actually had. When you told me your number that you were under 400 horse, I, I didn't believe it. And then, uh, well, dino sheets don't lie, I guess. Most people are bragging the other way, but definitely the driving aspect of it, uh, the car was on point for that. You had a few mechanical things last year. Did you, were you able to get those sorted and kind of figure out what it was that was giving you some grief during the uh, season last year? Yeah, no, overall. All it was, uh, I blew a transmission out in the grassroots event there. That was kind of just the last. We were just about to go to the final battle before it failed on me. And honestly, I couldn't really complain about it because that tranny's lasted me since day one. Mm -hmm. Like, that's mm -hmm. the same. Get almost five years, five seasons out of it. You can't really complain for it. So... Other than that, ran into some other issues where it was more of just kind of just a little bit of like engine bay overheating for it, not really like just a lot of IATs that were just through the roof. So we believe that was kind of the issue behind why I was getting a little bit down on power in some aspects for it. But other than that, it's I believe everything's kind of been buttoned up here, but we'll find out soon enough if that's true. So There you go. We were having a little bit of fueling issues, if I remember. It was something with fuel line or... A wiring or something like that i think in mission yeah mission ended up being that a in the in the tank line had kind of the feed straight onto the hard line had cracked and kind of burst open so it was just bleeding off pressure into the tank for it so that took a little bit to kind of figure out what the issue was but then after that we kind of resolved that ran into a little bit of a few weeks after we were kind of a little bit rushed at mission mm -hmm. so that's what kind of thing when things get a little bit rushed they were you kind of missed some things here and there. So got that resolved. The team kind of busted like countless uh, hours to kind of fix that issue. I don't know. We had limited practice, but we kind of still made it to comp and we were able to qualify. So, Right. Um, so a little bit on the 6-2 setup that you got. Um, so we've been talking with most people, you know, V8 is primarily what cars are, are coming into this series with. There's a few you know, outside ones with maybe like a small block board or something like that, but still V8 platform. Um, but for the most part, that's what it is. We got a few RVs, but so when you go to a 6.2, um, why don't you tell people like what that motor would have come in traditionally and then the advantage to that over the six liter and also maybe the power numbers that you're looking to get to? Yeah, so for that, traditionally, I mean, you can go and you can get it directly from a Corvette that has an LS3 in it. It's pretty much just a step down. It's an L92 block for it, so it's not like an actual LS3 <laughs> block, but it's the same variation of it, just a little bit different form where you will find it in, like, kind of your high-end trucks that have, like, a 6.2 in it. Like, if you have a 1500 that's, like, a Denali set up for it, it'll have a 6.2. So kind of if you take that, Benefits to the 6.2 is you get a little more displacement. You'll have rectangle port heads for a little bit more flow up top. And you'll have also the weight savings, which is right around, I believe, just under 100 pounds that you save from an iron block to aluminum. So with that, as well as you have a little bit better heat dissipation as well. So it keeps, that down with the, keeps the temps down as well. So, And then with this, this build here, so this one here, we ended up tossing in a little bit of uh, some dome pistons in it as well. So we had a board 10 over, put in some pistons in there to bump the compression. I think we're right around the 11.7 for compression on that. And then same head setup that's there. Nothing's done to the heads. They're still factory and just a larger cam from Summit, actually. So Okay. And this sort of is a, a platform that you and uh, Joel from Canadian Performance Injection it's kind of a platform that he likes and is familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. He's okay. pretty familiar with the whole LS setup and everything like that. So he kind right. of did the due diligence into kind of going through mm -hmm. the engine and assembling it, making sure that everything was buttoned up for it. And then we luckily had the opportunity to go to pro stock in Edmonton and throw it on the engine dyno to see what that was like. You've never done something like that before. So it was a really cool experience. It allows for you to kind of, pinpoint if there's any issues that come up during that time whereas like if you're on a dyno you kind of figure that out then when it's in the car whereas now right. it's like you if an oil leak came up or maybe you found something else that presented itself well it's not in the car yet you can easily disassemble it and repair it right 
so did you have any issues like that on the engine dyno or how how was the the first time on it yeah the engine dyno went pretty much flawless we didn't have any other any issues come up for it so it kind of went as it should luckily for it so and i think that's kind of big thanks to uh, joel with the, the assembly on it for really just buttoning up every little thing going through all the fine details and really putting together a solid engine package all right so on that on the engine dyno i mean i think you're probably one of the only ones that i've seen as we're, we're following some of our our builds coming into the season that actually took the time put it on the engine dyno did you do a full power run on that or is that more yeah. just break in on it are we yeah. sharing power numbers sure yeah no uh yeah we did a full like power run on it as well so Right there, it made around, uh, I think it was just under 560 horsepower and about 450, a little over 450 torque. For okay. It. So. So you're going to do any uh, nitrous in there as well, just to really spice it up and, and risk it? No, we're just going to keep it simple here and just try to, the NA reliability to it. That's the nice part, part of it. You just keep right. it kind of simple for it. So. Yeah, it should be a pretty solid setup. I'm looking for it. And the, the nice thing about that is that with the engine dynos, you can calculate the drivetrain loss percentage that you get as well. I know that's always been a question for a lot of people. It seems like, I mean, you try to calculate it. I mean, every setup's different, right? So you'll find that across the board that maybe one setup, you might have the same engine setup, but your drivetrain might have a different transmission or a different diff setup. Or there's a lot of factors that come into play with it. So, Excellent. Uh, so a little bit on that too. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion, probably, uh, those have been into drifting and trying to get more power out. Ethanol was a huge thing probably two to three years ago. And I see more people kind of stepping back from going the ethanol route and just sticking to either like a race gas or a pump gas setup. What's your opinion on that? And like, I believe you're just regular pump gas. So why did you choose that as opposed to going ethanol and trying to make more power that way? Yeah, like I'm not as familiar with the ethanol route for it, but from what I've seen from a lot of guys, there's not a lot of benefits that you see in an NA setup to go run the ethanol. I mean, ethanol requires a decent amount of maintenance to it as well, since you'll find that mm -hmm. you also have the, the fuel pumps, the injector system, the fuel system to support it alone. Like, I mean, you have to run completely different lines. There's a little bit more maintenance to it that you'll find. And I mean, with that being said, I mean, it wasn't worth it right now for it. I mean, not to say that maybe one day I'll end up going down the road with throwing down, throwing a little more horsepower at it. But right now, I think with the setup that we have, it's going to be more than sufficient on just regular pump gas. Yeah. And I guess maybe the, uh, the benefit that you, you're never going to be short, you're not looking for consistency in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that it's, you know, guys that are on ethanol really promote it and say, like, that's the only way to go. But people who sort of had issues with an ethanol setup, um, trying to think of the best reliable way to make drifting affordable and sustainable. I mean, uh, you're a younger guy, you just bought a house, but yet you're going to come out and go drifting this season. And I think that maybe has a big part to play in the, you know, let's call it a simple setup that you have, you know, a V8 uh the Nissan, you're still running the CDO9 transmission, uh, basically a, a stock diff, good coilovers, and you just send the send it, and that's been a proven package over and over. Um, but like with the ethanol route, it's just something that I I kind of want to get a lot of people's opinion on and have open that discussion because one in Canada it's a little bit tougher I think with the ethanol when you're leaving the car sit for quite a while tends to gum up injectors, lines. And I mean, you're also running 30% more fuel through your system to try to make that extra power just because it's just not as a, I don't know what, why it's so much more fuel that you got to run through it. But I don't know, I'm just, I always get curious on, on guys that, that aren't going the ethanol route when, you know, probably two years ago, three years ago, you're seeing pretty much everybody switch over to it in FD and it was all the rage. Um, is it the simple setup that you like? It's just sort of easier to diagnose when there's issues at the track. Yeah, I, I would say that would be the main focus on it. You'll find that like 
the simpler you keep the setup, the less you have to worry about when it comes to track days, whether or not when it comes down to what happens if you accidentally forgot to get some E85. I mean, I know from off the top of my head, I think there's only one place and that's in Calgary that you can look to get it. Other than that, you have to pretty much purchase barrels for it. Yeah. So I mean, one little thing there, I mean, the simpler the setup, the easier it is to just pack the gear, get your tires ready, head to the track. Right. And that's what you find with a lot of like a lot of setups. I mean, it's easy enough to kind of go over your head. I mean, there's certain situations I've been there before and you have to kind of take a step back, visualize what's going on and just reevaluate and take another approach to it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'd love to have a dog box and a quick change, but is that in the budget? No. Is right. It in the you never know for it, yeah. but I kind of just leave that door open, but it's easy to kind of go over your head. And then next, you know, you can't show up to that track day because you have too many other things that you can't really like afford, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that, I mean, uh, a mistake that a lot of people make. And I think just in that sustainable drifting aspect is, you know, if you're looking to choose something that isn't really proven, you know, test it the absolute cheapest way you can without maybe going all in and getting spares of something that isn't necessarily great. Um, for example, like we are trying that with a, with a unique transmission, like just a T5, putting that behind a rotary. And it was just blowing these transmissions apart. There was absolutely no use for them at all. We wrecked them every single event and just bleeding money on it. But you run that CD09 or CD double, whatever it is. And you bought a new one, I believe, last year to put yeah. in the car, just hoping for another five years of reliable driving, I guess. Is that that's sort of the plan behind it? Yeah, like that was, I mean, when it happened, I mean, I might have like explored the dog box option a little bit more in depth, but it, it happened pretty much like just before the middle of the season. Yeah, And there's no worse time than trying to figure out a new setup than during the middle of the season and trying to make it work because at the end of the day you're going to face like challenges where like maybe it doesn't work out right away for it you got to work out the kinks to that new setup mm -hmm. and it would suck to be able to go down that route and be like rolling into mission and start having clutch issues whereas you have a setup that you know works and all you have to do is just replace the transmission and install it and kind of just run that for the season i mean i kind of had my eye out for if there ever is a deal that comes up for a dog box, but right now there's not yeah. really much on the Canadian market at all. And that, the price for one of those is outrageous right now too. So I'll probably be sticking with the CD09. Yeah. I think the last two people that got deals on dog boxes was Regan McCarter and um, uh, Chris Pollard. Those are the only two people I know that got a steal of a deal. And I haven't seen another pop up like that in a while. Um, Let's go through a little bit of your setup. Um, when we we ran a, a series car uh, a couple of years back and you came out, we had uh, an S14 with a V8 in it, and, you know, T56, the whole thing. And you had come out and we ordered just a ton of parts off for Rock Auto. And it was, you know, it was super cheap to uh, to get the car sort of tuned back up. So what is it that you, you like to run? You got your six liter and then go through it, maybe the drive line, the clutch package that you pick and sort of why you're, why you pick it and how long you're getting out of those particular items. Yeah. So for, I guess, yeah, starting from the power plant for it, I mean, you'll have a six liter. I mean, you could stick with just a factory six liter setup. You don't even have to throw a can on it. You can just run it and just beat the crap out of it. And usually it'll take it mm -hmm. or you could go through put in a small cam kit for it, up, upgrade the valve train so it can support it, maybe toss on a new timing chain and while you're in there, maybe a new oil pump, depending on how it is. Do yeah. a little gasket set on it. Your engine's pretty much buttoned up at that point for it. And then usually, like, if you have the room and the hood clearance, just stick with the factory truck intake. If you need, like, a standard intake that's a little bit lower, maybe go to Mopac, pick up one of their low-profile intakes, and then you're pretty much set for the engine for it. And then when it comes to cooling, I've learned this because I've wasted a lot of money. Just go with the biggest rad set that you can physically fit and the biggest set of fans. Mm -hmm. that's because that's what you need to, to work. I mean, I probably fought that Kremlin for probably two seasons and then finally kind of figured it out to where I have sustainable cooling that I can hot lap with. Obviously, there's a limitations to it. 
as far as uh, steering on it. I use the factory F-body power steering pump on it, and then we just run a, a big 10-row like, cooler on it. And so far, that's the setup that's worked for me without having any other issues. And then that's pretty well it. Factory, water pump, and front mount rad too. And then clutch setup with it, we just run a six-buck axe clutch for it. That's pretty well taken. Usually I can get like two to three seasons out of it without any sort of issues. And then you run the stat factory throw bearing, one piece drive shaft on it with your standard non-greasable U-joints. And then right now we're running the Q45 diff in there with their axle setup. And that's kind of where I'm at. That's what's worked. All right. So as for problem areas in that, like I think we talked probably the start of last year and we were very much one of the main things that you've never had is a, a mechanical failure besides, I guess, losing the transmission at one of the grassroots rounds. Um, other than minor stuff like, you know, a broken line in the fuel tank, that setup has been good for you. I don't recall seeing you, you know, get knocked at a competition for blown axles or anything like that. So do you find that that is the best route that you would recommend most people take? Or would you say, you know, spend the money on, you know, X, Y, Z? Or do you find that, like, that's the best dollar spent and it works well. Yeah, I think that in this current setup for it, like this has worked for it. I mean, maybe on a factory, like rear dev setup, you would have had like the R200, you would have had maybe a few more axle brakes, but I think it really depends and on that power level, I guess. I'm gonna find out a little bit more when you have a jump in power, if that current setup can withstand that and take the abuse mm -hmm. from a similar kind of role that I've been doing before on it, whereas, it's going to be a decent jump, I would assume. So with that being said, I think that you'll probably find that you could go down to a little bit beefier setup, but the jump between this setup and going to like, I think the next setup is a quick change for it. So right. you're talking about a, a $5,000 difference. And I think, I think it was John Burns that I mentioned about with the transmissions and stuff, like if you're replacing four or five transmissions, you're pretty much at the point of almost being able to afford a dog box where right. That's kind of the same way I look at it. If I'm going through axles, if I was going through five sets of axles a season, then it's probably time to start exploring another avenue for a better support system for that. So I think that's kind of the way to go about it. I mean, even I think it was Denofa that said, don't fix it unless it's broken. So, I mean, you could go and upgrade it. That's great. But like, I mean, if that setup's working, why change it? I mean, like, no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's always, it's always good to kind of look at ways that you can improve the setup and stuff, but within means, right? Mm -hmm. um, so your teammate, obviously you have Chris Pollard that you guys kind of ran similar liveries and you guys were a uh, team there. He's running the BMW. You're in the Nissan. Um, comparing the two chassis, like I'll ask this and it's not, you know, just an honest, it's nothing to pick on Chris or, or to you, but um now let's preface it with this. We had uh, a guy looking for a car. He put up a, a feeler thread looking, going to pay like $40,000 for a car. And every single person yeah. I knew posted their cars for sale. Um, and then I had a really good talk with them and, and just trying to point them in the right direction to the best vehicle that a guy should get into to get into drifting. You know, obviously I was teasing them out, telling a rotary and i you know i kind of said you have to be really invested in this to do it so maybe this definitely isn't the car for you to buy if you're just trying to get a good seat time car reliable um now saying that you know you gave us your recipe you know the six liter basically leave it alone if you want mild upgrades uh like a tune-up basically throw a cdo9 or a t56 if you have one already attached to it simple bolt it all in and go um now, now the difference between that and the bmw chassis because i know you help out chris quite a bit and we're going to get him on later uh, on one of the episodes but what do you see between the two you know having both driven together now for a couple of years working on the cars together what's what would you say if you had to redo it what would be the best bang for the buck car that you would buy yeah that that's a that's a tough question for it right. but i mean 
obviously at the time where it was, like when I started as chassis and that base platform as like an entry level, we're at that affordable point. Whereas right. now they run a premium for it. So right now I would say that the BMW would probably be the route to go mainly because you can still get that cheap starting platform. And right now with today's day and age, I mean, it seems like you're seeing a lot more support going into a newer chassis for it. And then again, it kind of comes down to what your goals are. Are you planning on just doing like a fun car? Are you trying to compete with it? So yeah, that's where like maybe the BMW is kind of the route to go because that chassis is still evolving. Whereas the S chassis is pretty much fully evolved. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's some guys that are still adding on to it and kind of finding aftermarket support for it and kind of expanding it further. But the BMW seems to be a chassis that maybe hasn't reached that full potential yet. And there's guys still working on ways to improve it, which opens up the door to a lot of options for it. I mean, then another big thing is, is BMW parts are a lot more readily available than an S chassis mm -hmm. right now. I mean, plus if you're trying to find an S chassis part, usually it's costing you an arm and a leg almost to get it. Right. Whereas the BMW, there's a lot around and I'm sure that this is going to be, we'll switch roles and it'll be the exact same thing as an S chassis is going to happen to a BMW. Yeah. Right, right. As we as we tend to wreck the rest of them into drift cars and stuff like that. But I find probably the the availability for, you know, the consumables, let's be honest, the consumable parts on, on all drift cars are seem to be, you know, taillights, uh, bumpers, fenders, all of that stuff like that. And I think probably some of those supporting things on the S chassis are getting a little bit harder and more expensive to find, you know, a new set of taillights or you know, that the bezel in between or, you know, trying to find straight pieces that aren't, you know, complete fiberglass rear end on it. Whereas maybe a BMW has a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot that we already are strapping out, you know, big yeah. shout out to Nasir. He's got everything so far, yeah. right? Well, parts are cheap, stock up. Um, but so I guess you, you found that you went to like a, a Q45 diff in your car as opposed to the stock one. Now, um, you know, I'm asking you now for some BMW insight. Is there stuff like that that you saw is a problematic thing that you've noticed just being, you know, a competitor in the series that the BMWs have a weak part that maybe is a big upgrade? Because I know, you know, Chris went to a quick, quick change and kind of alleviated all that problems. But there's a lot of, you know, the, the factory 335i isn't going to uh, hold up to a drifting application. Yeah, I only know a few things about it. I mean, I know that I think his pedal setup was also, uh, I think it was a mission where his throttle cable snapped off or something mm -hmm. like that. So I know he's had that happen. So I think that was one of the key components. I mean, like they're nothing major that would be like a, a weak point to the chassis, but you'll find that there's a lot of small things maybe that are on it. I mean, He's had a few little small minor breaks in it, but other than that, nothing too severe yeah. for it that I've been aware of. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Chris probably we see him a little bit more as as your teammate. He's a guy that has to be thrashing on the car more, and I think that goes a lot too. Is just his super aggressive uh, driving style as well. Yeah. Not that yeah. you're not as aggressive, but I think it's maybe more mechanically unsympathetic. Um, so, like. Benefits. I see Rick jumped in here to join, and I, so you guys are basically running a team, kind of going through the season. Um, what would be like? What's the spares that you would bring out to the track to like a regular event day? Regular event day, like if it's a local event day, I would say that the parts that I'm bringing are not as crazy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like mission, when you're making a thousand kilometer plus commute you're wanting to bring everything possible that you can so that if you do break, you can't change it out. I mean, within means, right? I mean, I'm not, I don't have a spare engine set up here that I'm carrying with me. So, right. I mean, that's something that it might be like the, the breaking point where it's like, you break that, it's kind of, that's the end of your weekend. Whereas, I mean, here locally, like I'll bring spare parts out, but if I'm going out to like maybe a Thursday night or a fun day on Saturday, like, it's a half hour drive back home for me. So it's nothing extreme. I mean, if it's a competition, yeah, I'm going to be bringing the same parts there so that I have the ability to attempt to at least try to fix it within a 
silent manner so that I'm not completely out for that whole competition. Okay. So, so give it, give us your basic rundown. Like what are the absolute necessity parts that you must bring to, to an event? Like what is it that you definitely always have with you? Yeah. So pretty much we'll start from the basics, spare fluids that includes like water for the cooling system, diff fluid, transmission fluid. You'll have uh, spare tie rods on there as well. If you have any other sort of suspension components, you're bringing that along. Spare belts for it, maybe a spare valve cover gasket in case. You got spare coils, wires, spark plugs, miscellaneous, like a wiring kit for if you have any hiccups, like spare relays or fuses. And then, yeah, pretty much for that, you'll find, yeah, any of your suspension components. I have a difference of springs in case, depending if you need to change a little bit of the setup. Other than that, you have axles and a diff for it. And that's pretty well all that you're almost able to change on the spot. Anything more requires a lot more work. I mean, not saying it's impossible, but it's a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now that you have like another S chassis jumping in on it, have you guys talked a little bit about, you know, like the sharing of parts or, or are your cars similar enough to share parts and are you trying to break it up so that, you know, you're not bringing duplicates of everything, but like enough that you guys can all get out and go. I mean, you know, you, you and Chris, even though you're running different uh, chassis, you know, it's still basically the same engine setup, I believe coming into this year where a lot of those parts can be shared. Um, is that, is that sort of something that goes into a team strategy? I would say it's a, it does play a factor into it. I mean, on Rick, Rick's aspects for it, a lot of his stuff doesn't exactly cross right over to mine. Okay. For it, whether or not it's like his, steering, his rack or his axles or something like that doesn't exactly work with my setup. So I say there's a small portion that does transfer over. So I think it's more of just when you have a three-car team that's kind of like that, you have the ability to kind of have another person aid with it as well. The extra set of hands, the extra set of different tools as well. Because maybe you didn't bring that part to the track. Well, you don't have to go running around the pits trying to find someone else when you can ask the guy who's right next door to you to see if maybe he has the part or he has, like, that wrench that you didn't have or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, like, with Chris, there's a lot of stuff, like, our engine stuff transfers over. Whereas, Chris, well, Rick, he's running the Jay-Z setup. So, it's a lot, uh, a little more difficult to put in a Jay-Z yeah. part on an LS, right? Yeah, I guess I was looking more maybe I wasn't sure how similar some of the suspension components were going going through that or if that's like a consideration between the the teams to to try to, you know, use similar type parts. Yeah. So Yeah, I think that you'd find that yeah, there is some people that do that for it. I mean, if it was like an he was running an S fourteen, I'd be like, Yeah, well, there'd be a lot of comparisons that right. I could just jump over. I think that he is running like an S fourteen front steering kit, so then Technically, some of that would transfer over, but we're running completely different kits, so then not a lot of that's interchangeable. All right. Um, hey, so let's go into a little bit about that. Like, uh, you've kind of changed around. You've had some different um, steering kits on the car. What kit are you on right now, and, you know, what do you like about it, or are you looking to change that out? Yeah, so I've been running uh, the Part Shop Max Limit Brake Kit front and rear for probably – give or take the last three to four years for it. I think that eventually when you got into a setup where it kind of works and doesn't give you as many headaches where it's, you kind of just stick with that setup. I mean, there has been like, I've had the interest of trying to reach out and kind of see if there's another kit that I would go to. I know that I have definitely been leaning towards like FDF, but when you have a setup that works, it kind of goes back to that idea of like, why change it? I mean, I know that there's a lot more benefits to that FDF kit or some guys make the switch to WiseFab. It's just to justify the cost. I mean, you can't really sell your kit for enough money to pay for that other kit. You're right. kind of selling yours for pocket change almost because not a lot yeah. of people to buy used stuff and you're kind of just leaning towards paying for a brand new kit, which is easily a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, I would definitely say like, you know, I got to agree with you on that. Um, uh, driving you're always at the top of the the bracket you're kind of always in the you know top eight finish no matter what we what we're running 
So I think definitely the kit that you have works uh, driving well. Um, maybe don't, you know, you're looking at it maybe if there comes a time to change the chassis or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, it's one of those, one of those weird things that you see, you know, there's, there's a, is a lot of push to FDF and you see like the great things he's doing. He's active on every media platform you can think of and, you know, building genius type stuff. Like it's like a kid with a CNC machine having the best time of his life. And you go, I, I definitely need that. But then when you like, do you need it? Or I, I like to get that feedback from the drivers just to find out, you know, to be happy where you're at, get that seat time, get the driving in. Um, let's talk a little bit about the goals now for 2023, where you want to be. Um, if you do win the license, what your plans are going from that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, with the three rounds, I'm excited to go back to a multi-round series. I like that challenge because I think it's like a lot of people have said before, it plays a story and you kind of get a follow along where it's kind of detrimental that you finish well in like say the first round in order for it to be a good finish at the end for it. So it creates a lot more challenges to it. Whereas you can have one round where that we ran prior for it based on the what we had to deal with for what was going on in the world. And then yeah. you can have, if you're off your A game or you're kind of have a mechanical, that's it, you're done. That's kind right. of where it is. Whereas here, it's like, you don't need to have that number one finish in round one. You could pretty much, if you got knocked out and say top eight or something like that, you wouldn't be eliminating yourself from the picture mm -hmm. of kind of finishing high at the end of the season. But yeah, I know for this season, it'll be just kind of, drive as hard as I can, see where I can go, what I can do with it. I mean, we'll see how it goes for the season. I mean, yeah, if I want a license, it'd be great. But I mean, what I would do with it, I think I don't think I'd run down south for it. I mean, there's just so much cost to it. It's hard to justify that. I mean, it would be a cool experience to maybe run around, but right now I don't think that's in the picture. Right. Yeah, There's not, unless there's a big cash sponsor that jumps in or, you know, all of a sudden yeah. – you, uh, you know, cash in that lottery ticket that uh, is a winning number. Um, so talk about the, th the multiple rounds. We went back to, to a multi-round series, and that actually played in a lot with the drivers. I mean, I talked with you. I talked with Chris. I talked with, the, I guess we call them the key drivers that are out at all of our events and, and driving a ton. We asked them what they wanted, and definitely the multi-rounds was – was what was requested for that same thing. Like we'll take it back to mission yet a, you know, a leaky hose going into the hard line, you know, like realistically that could have taken you out if you guys didn't diagnose it, like the car's just not running right. And sometimes that simple thing like that we overlook and, you know, that's sort of that same story aspect, like that can really sour an event weekend. And if, if it was only that and you spend, you know, thousands of dollars to get there, invest in it with your team, you know, and a cracked, uh, you know, plastic rubber line inside your fuel tank is what takes you up for the weekend. Um, now, going to the three rounds, what do you think for, for the local series, like, you know, running spec D in Western Canada, what's the ultimate number of rounds that we should run? Is three enough? Should we be at five? Should we be at four? What do you, what's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, I think for that, I mean, in past, I think we before ran mm -hmm. a five round. I definitely enjoyed the five round more because, like I said before, it's kind of when you run that five rounds, it's if you get maybe knocked out in top 16 in round two for it and, like, right. you finish well in the next couple rounds, you're not out of the, out of the top three yeah. finish for it. And it, it definitely creates that storyline of, how it plays out where it's like maybe you had a guy who made a crash that happened in one of the rounds but he was able to put it back together and he's back out of the next round he he wins that event for it so mm -hmm. it opens up a lot of options of how it can turn for the end as far as who wins in the finals for it right. but right i think the three rounds will be a nice way to kind of see how that to bring that back and not transition straight to a five round from a one round <laughs> because i guess the big thing is is from your standpoint, I would say it would probably be that trying to get that driver count up to all five rounds is challenging. 
because it's right. not like it's a cheap thing to do for a lot of drivers out there. Like it costs a lot to show up at rounds, depending yeah. on the setup that you have. No, exactly, and that's that's where we come from as a, as an event organizer and trying to make it so you know we have to put on a show for the fans. And there there is a ton of drivers that just they drive just to to showboat, and it's it's amazing. That's what fans want to see is the great looking cars. Everybody driving, lots of tire smoke, everything. Everything that you want to go to a drift event for, you know, we try to bring it to our events. And, you know, driver retention, having it so that when you're in your final round, which generally, like for us, our last round this year is at Rad Torque, you know, back on the big bank. It's the first time in like three years running the big bank in competition. And, you know, having a packed house there is amazing. And, you know, that's that's the biggest investment uh, event and then trying to make sure that you have you know for sure a top 16 coming out to that to really give a good show for the fans um our drivers here are actually really really good we've always had really good retention and the drivers love to drive and compete so for the, the three uh tracks that we're running for the series what's your favorite and maybe why is it your favorite that's uh that's a tough one i mean okay yeah, because uh, each track has its pros, I would say, for it. I mean, okay. as far as the main highlights for it, I think the big thing is with the Stratotech layout that we're running, I quite enjoy the elevation change where you kind of just come over that hump and you feel that little bit of, like, the suspension unload as you come over and, like, just that feeling is kind of unbeatable to kind of a lot of other tracks out there. That probably my highlight to that track layout. I mean, we've never ran a competition setup. Well, we have, but I've never been a part of that competition setup that we ran that layout. Yeah. So I'm excited for that mission. I know that I think that we're looking at changing the layout compared to last year. Not sure if that's still happening, but that's a toss up. Um, so yeah, with that layout that we ran last year, that was a new layout. I really enjoyed the last layout. That was probably one of my favorites, but this new layout presented its own ch set of challenges. Okay. Challenges. So. Yeah, I quite enjoy that one. It's a high-speed track, and it's similar to the Castro layout. Once you're able to, like, link that straight there, it's uh, one of the best feelings. It's just, okay. uh, I think that was back when we ran Castro's layout, like, yeah. a few years back. I think that, like, you would battle with yourself to, like, link that center straight there in between the first turn and the second turn there. And then once you linked it, it was just, that was it. That was, it, it was, was just money. Good. It was all about hitting the right line. And then once you found that, it was just mm -hmm. best way to go. So yeah, I'm with John on that though. That old layout, nothing beat it. Just high speed going right <laughs> into the grandstands. That, that was probably the. Yeah. Well, we are, we are chatting, we are chatting with them out there at, at mission, but it's just, there is no, there's no seating and having the infrastructure there is, is really hard for it. So sometimes you run a layout that may not be, uh, the best, but you got the seating to have all the fans there. And I'll tell you what, the fans absolutely love that layout. They love that the cars were yeah. like full power. Tires were smoking hot coming around that big sweeper right in front of the grandstands. It was like money all the way to the bank for that. It, people loved it. They loved ride-alongs there. You know, so sometimes the challenge is, you know, you work with the track of what you had. Um, I know John always gives me grief the eight hour drive down there. He tells me how poorly the layout is and how it's terrible for a driver, but everyone seems to do really, really well on it after they found, you know, the key to link it. Um, we will be putting it out there and trying to get some, the driver feedback. And if they do have an option to move the stands at mission or get more stands brought in, um, you know, then we'll look at doing that. But there's, a, there's some potential there. There definitely is. I think if we can do another good layout there. We may be able to add some asphalt into it and uh, just make that straight just a little bit wider. And I think that would uh, make it work amazing. Um, yeah. So going back to Rad, Rad Torque Raceway this year for the final round, um, you talked about that, the feeling coming into the bank. It's probably our one of our highest speed entries going in there for any of the tracks that we run. Um, and then the bank, the line through the center. Do you like that layout? Is that the, the track that you like um, for a final? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a pretty good track. It's a high-speed track layout mm -hmm. for it. 
the bank, uh, I've run a few bank setups. You run the EAR setup, that setup there that's out of Castro, and then ran the one out in Saskatoon. And definitely Saskatoon's bank level is probably about 10 degrees more angle than any of the other layouts. It's a pretty wild setup for it. So I think that, yeah, the Rad Torx layout is a really good layout because, yeah, once you come off that bank there from entering at such a high speed, it's such a wide turn that you can carry that speed and you don't have to kind of lose speed. You just carry it throughout. And then it's just you slingshot yourself out through that center straight and then just transfer over. And it's a really good finish. You finish up against the wall there. I know that sometimes it's not visual visible to the spectators, but mm -hmm. it's a really nice finish. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's a, it's a great, uh, great layout there. You know, and I think about how fortunate we are. We are running on three uh, road courses. Uh, when you listen to a lot of the drivers talk, like on their interviews and podcasts for for Formula Drift, they're saying less ovals, more road courses. And we're exactly that. We are on three different road courses, um, which is great. And trying to add more turns into it is is a challenge. But I mean, that's, that's really what we're looking for. We're happy to be back at Stratotech for competition this year and, uh, you know, kick off the season there. Um, I think it's going to be a great start to the season. I'll probably keep let you go here quick yeah i know we got um uh, lane weber gonna jump on here shortly why don't you give a shout out to some of the sponsors that support you um where the people can catch you on social media and uh you know what's the best way to get a ride along with ryan dress when they see you at an event so yeah you can follow me on my socials pretty much it's just ryan Drutz for it big shout out to canadian performance injection silver maple Zestino Tires, Modified Design, and Devotion Tire. Those have been some big help throughout the years for it. Can't thank them enough. And yeah, if you're looking to get a ride, just come out with a helmet. Usually I'm pretty well open to always giving ride lawns unless I'm trying to figure some stuff out on the setup. Other than that, right. yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And yeah, thanks for having me on. You bet. So if the hood is up and you look frustrated, don't ask for a ride along, is that the key? That might be the key for right. it. Usually yeah. I'm not too frustrated on the setup, but <laughs> there is times. There will be times where I am frustrated. So, No, I'll, I'll definitely give a you know huge praise to all of our guys. They're, they're in good moods even when the cars are basically falling apart in the pits. Um, people are usually pretty heavy. We don't see a lot of like wrenches thrown and people slamming hoods and, and really upset. They know what they're in for. Um, but yeah, I know there's always been a, a lineup for you to give ride along so you know come ask nice uh bring your own helmet and usually you're down to do that so hey we really appreciate you coming on tonight ryan yeah um, appreciate it and i guess we're looking forward to seeing you out on may 19th you're gonna hit grassroots round one Just... yeah sure yeah I'll, I'll be out there so. all right all right sounds Excellent. good all right thanks a lot all right let you go all right hey well, thanks, Ryan, for coming on. Really appreciate that. I know ride-alongs are, are a huge part of, of what this is. Uh, people love to go for ride-alongs, and our drivers are really down to do it. And like I say, we do have our four-door drift car coming along. You know, we're waiting on some parts. WiseFab showed up today. We got the Yellow Speed Racing coilovers in for that car. Um, waiting on a few parts to, to tidy it up, and, and hopefully we're going to see that out of the track sooner than later to give ride-alongs to, uh, you know, uh, you and a couple of your friends to get in the car together. I'm going to call out for uh, Lane Weber. I know he's supposed to be watching, or John Bernstad uh, can give him a, a poke to get him to come on. I, got, I want to talk to him a little bit about, you know, his progression in the sport. Uh, he's just a great guy that, you know, spends a ton of time building the car. Uh, and basically everything they have is, you know, it's a self-made uh, angle kit. And everything that he works on that car is just doing it himself. So it's neat to see. So, hey, again, Lane, if you're out there, request to join. We'll get you on. A little bit about what's coming on this week. So, again, tomorrow night, out at Rad Torque Raceway, we have uh, the Open Drift that's presented by JB's Power Center in association with Rad Torque Raceway. They keep this the absolute uh, best value seat time anywhere uh, probably anywhere. Just put it as that as anywhere. It's $50 to drive all night long, $10 to watch. If you bring a helmet, 
and wear long uh, pants. Part of insurance regulations are for drivers and passengers, long pants. So if you wear that, we can always get you in the car to, uh, to do a ride along. And uh, that's just a great time out there. Also, this weekend, out at Stratotech Raceway, as a part of the Stratotech Raceway and, and many of the people that uh, run motorsports out there, um, we're doing a season opener out there. So gates will open at 11 o'clock. we got food trucks, DJ, everything on it. And, oh, I see Lane jumping in here. So I will finish once I let him in. So, yeah. So at a rad tour or out at uh, Stratotech, yeah, gates open at, at 11 o'clock. And again, it's going to be a good time. Food trucks are out there, and it's going to be uh, be fun. And we're going to be actually testing our layout for the round one on this uh, Saturday event. All right, Mr. Lane Weber, why don't you uh, introduce yourself quick? I know I know you're not as comfortable coming on here, but hey, I twisted your arm and got you in. Yeah, um, yeah. My name's Lane. I'm live out by Camrose near you. I'm on. Instagram mostly. I don't really do any other social media very much. Facebook, but I don't go on there very often. Uh, it's the fast at the fast lane, L A Y N E. Um, yeah, my number is eighty five, and yeah, I drive the RX eight. Awesome. Well, why I really wanted to have you on is uh, we've seen your progression probably um, like as more than just about anybody else uh, from starting off with uh your you, you came right in with a v8 and you know the progression of you over the last year has just been like exponential what is it that you like so much about drifting you're out pretty much every single thursday you're out at every single track day we do well, uh, tell tell us what got you hooked on it and uh and why you love being out so much okay how long do i have <laughs> floor is yours um well well, let's start where how I got hooked on it. Um, it all comes to John, John Bernstad, great guy. Yeah. Uh, I've known him for years and years and years. He's uh, my brother is married to his cousin. Okay. Um, so it, we go way back, but we just never really hung out um, until around 2018. I was uh, driving my MR2 down my back alley, and I see this Gen 1 RX7 coming at me, and it's silver and I pop him up on my headlights, he pops up his headlights, we pull up next to each other, and hey, it's John. John's just like, hey, uh, what are you doing? And I'm just like, oh, I'm just going out for a cruise. He's like, well, you want to come work on my race car with me? And I was just like, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and like, literally, we, I, I hung out with the guy at least once a week since then. Yeah. Uh, loved the guy, great man. And like, at the time, he had just come back from Atlanta, so he was a little bit bummed out. Um, didn't have the greatest experience there, but uh, he was still, mm -hmm. like, really excited to get a car back out there. And we were they were working on the RX-7 to uh, get it back out there. And at the time, he was driving Mandy, the 240, right. with the LF in it at that time. So, um, yeah, like it, it ended up that uh, I just came out to a practice one time with him to help him out there and went for a ride along and... I had never been in a vehicle that had been driven like that before. Mm -hmm. And it kind of shocked me. So, like, uh, it was a good 10 minutes. I was pretty quiet there. And then I just kind of looked at John. And I was just like, John, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> and John looks at me and says, everything you got. <laughs> well, sign me up. So right. that, was, uh, that was the next thing. Like, it was... Uh, what do we do? We start looking for a car and uh, figured out, well, why don't I just go with an RX-8? Because John also had an RX-8 in the background that he was working on. Mm -hmm. And figured out we'll share the parts, share the platform. And somewhere in that mix, we bumped into Dave at the track, um, Dave Sandal. And we found out that he had an RX-8, which he already LS swapped, but it was an automatic um, turbo LS. And he had his yeah. 240 LS at the track. And just things just just totally just fell into place. Like it, it was it was really weird. Like, um, and being around John just threw me straight into the mix of everything. Cause like he's hooked up with you. He's friends with everybody. He's a great yeah. guy. And 
it ended up being that I go to SEMA with him within the next year, and that we 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 I toured with him with uh, with the RX-7 for for Spec D that next year and helped him out on the car whenever I could. I missed one event. I missed EIR because right. I had to work every day. But ever since then, it's just been it's been hooked. And then picked up this RX-7 or RX-8, this one here, um, in the fall of 2018, it was August, and uh, just started working on it over the winter, got it running and driving by April, and took it to the track, spun a bearing the very first time I was out there, uh, rebuilt that, that engine, never built an LS before. I've always wanted to do an LS swap. This is my first LS swap, and yeah, um, ever since then, it's just been going to a practice, figuring out what's wrong, fixing it. Going to the next practice, figuring out what's wrong, fixing it, mm -hmm. and then soon enough, I was thrown into competitions. So like, <laughs> uh, it came to to uh, when it was EIR in 2020, I think it was, or 2019, and I'd only been driving for like two years. I had no idea what I was doing. The car was not set up well at all. Right, and I just just wanted to drive EIR. That's it. That, that was purely it. So we slapped the car together, put a cage in it, um, got it set up for, for pro event, and borrowed some safety gear from John, jumped in the car, smashed the car, fixed the car, and then did went into the next year with the tube front end and tube back end and everything else because it was... Uh, yeah, it was French. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, and I think, I think we kind of, we, well, I, I'll definitely say that I pressed you to jump into the competition just because I saw the passion for driving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's made you a better driver. Um, and, and definitely from the, from the outside, you'll say no, but I'll give you a little bit of props. Like we definitely see it. I watch, I watch everybody drives pretty much every single Thursday. I've watched every run of every single person in competition as long as I can remember once I stopped driving and started being like in the tower and judging, I watched every single run and watching drivers progress has always been, you know, it's a huge thing for us. Mm. And it's definitely something that, you know, we take a lot of pride in in the series is watching people progress. Um, so excited to see you. Like you made the trip out. We did, um, uh, you did the shootout last year, mm -hmm. drove, uh, doesn't always go your way. I think in competition, we're going to get you to take a little bit uh, less influence from John and I'll encourage you just to dial it back just 20% because John is very much checkers or wreckers. Uh, for those of the listening don't may not know John Bernstead, one of our judges, he is definitely like, uh, I love him as a judge, but I, I want him back in the car because he is, he is all go all the time. And, you know, as many people uh, say that drifting has ruined their life or Sean has ruined their life, John has done that by inviting people to come over and work on my race car. And that is, uh, you know, changed, exactly a lot, right. changed a lot of lives. Um, so oh, for the you better, did, you man. for the better, 100%. like, like yeah. I, I was doing nothing with my life for a long time there. <laughs> and like, it was around. 2010 where i said look i want to start wrenching on cars so i got an mr2 started working on the mr2 did an engine swap built another mr2 and then i had that mr2 and that's how i met john yeah and ever since then it's just been like it's been like exponential like progression of things that i am capable of doing and 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 learning yeah. from him and, yeah. and from dave and like and it's fun, like because this is my hobby. This is what I do to, to I go to the track, I get behind the wheel, I do crazy things, and I get out of the car, and it's just like yeah. the world is off your shoulders. That was fun. That was worthwhile. That was stupid, expensive, but you know what? I'm doing it again next week. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess we'll we'll talk a little bit about your car. You do have, you know, again, we're just talking with Ryan and he does have that simple setup you are you know maybe a little bit more because you have the dog box behind the V8 but mm -hmm. also it is just a very simple setup the car works and uh 
runs well. So as long as that car is working, you know, the expense is fuel and tires. Yep. Um, yep. And, and as for that, it's, it's not that bad as compared to other motorsports. But well, yeah, and, and like there's there's that triangle of diagram that they have where it's like power, reliability, and inexpense. Yeah, and you kind of got to find that balance between those three or choose two of them. Right. And yeah. like you and John have kind of chosen the power and the uh, expensive kind of part of it. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe okay. more power kind of. I, I'm I'm leaning more towards the reliability. That's why I went for the LS. I want so, consistent torque. I like torque, and and, and just just reliability is, is kind of what I lean towards, and in expense, because uh, yes. like I've I've spun a bearing on three engines right. now, so right. this is my third in, third engine in here. So um, and it's a six liter, and it's running beauty right now. So I hope it right. lasts for a long time. <laughs> Well, so hey, that, that, that's kind of that's my thing is, is spend the money where it matters and, and, and lean more towards avoiding as much mechanical failure as possible. Right. Because that's, I, when that takes somebody out of a competition, that sucks to right. see. It sucks to see that something like so simple as like a tie rod blinking off or, or right. spinning a bearing that shouldn't have been spun. Like it, it, it sucks to see. I'd rather than go out from sucking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, get, get beat on track or something like that instead yeah. of having a mechanical for sure. So, I mean, you do. You drive a, a ton um, on our Thursday nights. What do you like about the Thursday nights? Uh, why, do you, why are you always coming out to that? I mean, I'll give you this. I'll say many of our pro guys, that once they sort of go into pro, um, they stop coming to the, you know, maybe the grassroots, the fun days, and especially the Thursday nights. But... Mm. You're there every Thursday night, you know, always down to give a high five, a ride along and, you know, watching you get better week after week. Um, I'll tell you, you're going to be out there tomorrow night. Yes. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. All right. So if you're watching this and you want to see why I want to talk to this man here, come stand with me on the start line and I will show you by when he clicks into third gear within 50 feet of the start line and actually kick it sideways it's amazing to watch and that's why i i love coming out and watching thursday night drifting um you know that's go. yeah <laughs> that right there in the community like what you've built there with the pe people that show up there it's just it's just a fun atmosphere everybody's yeah. relaxed everybody's cheering you on like if you make a good run they'll be like yeah that's awesome right you know, yeah. like it's 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 even in even in competition. Like we were in competition, and I was helping John out, and we needed a bolt, and we couldn't find a bolt anywhere. I walked around, and nobody had a bolt. I walked up to Aaron Day, Aaron Day, John's biggest competition, right? And Aaron said, "Here's your bolt." Like, right? That's the kind of community we have. Yes, we everybody is there for one reason. Well, some are there for to be top. Yeah. But a lot of people there to have fun. That's the 100%. whole point of if you're not having fun, why are you there? Right. That, that's 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 the reason I go, because I think it's fun. And I like the people that are there. It's cool. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, tomorrow we're gonna throw some people in your car, you give ride along, do all that kind sure. of stuff. Okay. And uh, then you'll know why drifting is fun and you will we'll find the next uh, lane that you're going to be, you're going to be the John to, lane, to the next lane and ruin their life with giving them a ride along and taking them for that. They'll get out of the car shaking. They'll build a V8. They won't build a rotary because, I mean, you just called me out. Me and John, don't build a rotary. We want reliable power. I mean, fair enough. Proof is in the pudding, 100%. All of my cars were broken last year. And, but at the same you know, time, I did spin three <laughs> bearings in LS. It's just that it's way cheaper to fix an LS than a rotary. So exactly, yeah, that, was, exactly. that was the decision by the LS. But yeah. So if I were to ask you goals for this year, what is it? Uh, well, I may not be doing as much competition. Um, uh, I. I 
there's a couple of dates that conflict with me already that I won't be able to go to. Um, it'll be mostly uh, just fun days for me. Okay. Uh, I'll try to get to out to a couple of competitions because I just I, it's a good experience. It's right. driving with the best of the best. So, um, like every every time I've drove, driven in competition, I've learned something. So, uh, EIR and admission, like like it it blows my mind how much of a different experience it is. But where I really find my passion leaning towards is Stratotech days. Okay. Fun, fun days. Just go out, just drive the crap out of the car and have fun. Um, that, that's, that's more where I lean towards. Um, and that's where I'll be focusing on more is just getting the car dialed in perfect. So it does what I wanted every time I'm out there mm -hmm. and, uh, and have fun. Just have well, fun. I'll twist your arm into coming to some of the fun grassroots ones anyway. Um, yeah. you know, those, those are a great time and we really try to keep it light and same thing. Fine. It's not quite as serious as the pro competition. And, yep. you know, that, that exactly is, it's our, it's our Thursday night, uh, regular people that are coming up to Thursday night, put them in a little bit of a competition setting and they have them. I'd say the same thing, you know, you, it's the most fun. Everyone's out of the cars, high-fiving each other. If they get beat, they're so happy. They got beat by their buddy. If it's, you beat them, they're still happy. And I haven't seen, you know, anybody ever leave there without a huge smile on their face anyway. So, mm -hmm. Lane, Lane, thanks for coming on. Um, we really want to look forward to seeing you tomorrow. And, uh, hey, we'll catch up then. So, everybody, sure. make sure you come out. Catch us on Thursday night at a Rad Torque Raceway. Go for a ride along with Lane. And uh, then you, too, can have fun like he does. Thanks, awesome. Sean. All right. I'll let Sean. you go, and then I'll sign off. I want to say one thing, though. All right. You don't get said thank you enough. People don't <laughs> say thank you to you. You enough. You, uh, well, you, what, you, what you guys have built over the last, like even just the five years that I've been here, yeah. you don't do enough. Hey. So thank you. Hey. Hey, well, I, I really appreciate that. You know, and, uh, guys like you that always do it. Yeah, make me blush. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. Well, I'll wrap it up as uh, he jumps off there. So again, you guys can listen to this anywhere on uh, on the podcast version of it. Uh, really, thanks everybody for watching, and we will see you tomorrow night out at Rad Torque Raceway, Saturday out at Stratotech Raceway. Gates open at uh, five tomorrow night for spectators. Ten dollars to come in, watch, bring a helmet, go for ride-alongs. Um, same thing for the Saturday out at Stratotech. Uh, drifting is going to be going on throughout the day. So definitely come out uh, and, again, we'll try to get you in a car, go for a ride along. Gates on Saturday open at 11 o'clock, and it's just going to be a great time. Also, check out the website, uh, sign the waiver to get onto the courses and uh, onto the tracks. So thanks again for, for listening, and we will see you all next week.